Are you glad you came to church today? Man, my heart gets so encouraged every time I get to see people get baptized and uh, see kids, especially the next generation, declare their faith in Jesus is something that I'll always appreciate and never take for granted. And I love to watch kids, adults, um, make their faith public. So that's one thing that I really do enjoy. And I love how you celebrate that. I love how every time we baptize, you guys hoot and holler and clap your hands and you celebrate that reality because we really are watching people uh, transform their lives. We're watching people step out of darkness and into light. And I love uh, the analogy that Jeremy gave us of how we identify with Christ, being buried in his likeness and then raised to walk in the new life that he has now given us as Christ Jesus comes to dwell in the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Um, if you were here last week, we started a new series called Seven Choices. And we said that what we're going to do over the course of seven weeks is we're going to talk about seven decisions that you and I can make um, that if we make them, will totally and radically transform our lives. And we said that we're taking this from Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. One translation says it this way in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. It says, discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you. That word discretion, all it means is the ability to make good choices. So another translation, the New Living Translation, comes back and says it this way. Good choices will watch over you, and understanding um, will guard you or keep you safe. And what Proverbs chapter 2 is talking about, if you look at it in its context, is it's molding and shaping uh, people like you and I into someone that is consistently in tune with God. That's what the whole context of Proverbs chapter 2 is about. It's shaping and molding individual lives into people who are consistently in tune with God. In other words, we're talking about aligning the choices and the decisions that we make with the truth of God's word. And I believe with all of my heart that you're here today because you want to make good choices. You're here today because you want your heart and your life to be aligned with the truths of God's word. I believe that you want to cross that threshold from good intentions into good decisions. And good intentions say, hey, I want to be faithful to church. I want to develop a giving plan. I want to join a life group and find relationships that I can grow in godliness with. I want to be in that type of environment and those types of relationships. And I really want to thrive and flourish spiritually in my individual life. All of those things are good intentions. But if we don't make good decisions, uh, then those intentions will only merely be intentions. So we want to turn those intentions into reality. We want those things to become a part of our life, and we said that in order to do that, we have to cross this threshold from good intention into good decisions. And last week, what we talked about, if you remember, is we talked about the importance of taking our next step spiritually. And we actually threw on the screen a number for you last week where you could text the words next steps to that number, and I want you to know that 115 people took advantage of that opportunity in just one weekend. Can you put your hands together for, for you guys doing that? Now again, 115 of you, you actually typed next steps into your phone, you put that phone number in there, and, and you sent it, okay? So you, you went, and that link was sent to you. That's a good intention. But unless you check the box and start taking steps into actually fulfilling that intention, it's merely just going to be a good intention, right? We talked about this quote last week that um, I think it says something like, I haven't wrote down, so I'm just going to read it. It says, choices determine the distance between where we are and where we want to be, or really where God wants us to be. And what I want to do is to move you from there. I want to move you from where you are right now in your spiritual journeys 
to where God wants you to be. And I think the choices we make, such as filling out that box, making the next steps of going to the orientations or the trainings or whatever the case may be so that you can become the person that God wants you to be. Okay, so that's where we're going. We talked about next steps last week. Now this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be connected, okay? I don't want to just say get connected. I want to say get connected and then stay connected. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we get connected and then before we know it, three or four weeks goes by and we're no longer connected, all right? So my encouragement today is to make the decision uh, to get connected, but also to stay connected. Now, I don't know about you, but I still remember the day that I bought my very first iPhone. How many of you remember when you bought your first iPhone? Some of you, you still have an iPhone. You're still using a flip phone, okay? Um, pity your soul. And some of you have the Droid devices. Come on, you got to jump on the iPhone uh, bandwagon. Uh, but seriously, I remember the first day. It's hard to believe, by the way, that these devices, um, these devices were started in 2007, summer of June 2007. So 16 years have passed since the introduction of Generation 1 iPhone. I can vaguely remember life without an iPhone. <laughs> like, I don't remember what it was like. I was literally trying to think, did Kayla and I, when I got married, did we have iPhones? I'm not sure we did. Um, so that's kind of strange to me when you start to put that in perspective. But I remember getting my first iPhone. Now, these things weren't cheap. You guys know that. They weren't cheap when they first came out. There were lines uh, literally out the door all the way around the building at the Apple stores trying to get to these devices. And, uh, and people were waiting in those lines, camping out in front of those stores, trying to get this device. And I remember I, I, I didn't get it the first year. But several years later, I got my first iPhone. And I remember when I got it in my possession, how I wanted to treat it so delicately. Now, some of you know how you felt. Like you went and you bought immediately. You said, I'm getting the screen cover, Okay. I need the screen protector on my phone because I know me and my screen will get cracked. I don't want my screen to get cracked. It costs too much money for me to have to go and repair it, to get it fixed, to exchange it, whatever the case may be. And then you went the extra nine yards and you got you maybe some kind of case, like I have a case of mine today. Some of you were really old school and you got yourself an OtterBox. Remember the OtterBox? Like you're supposed to be able to put them under your car tire, drive over it, and it's still not supposed to crack type thing. Or hit it with a hammer, and it's still supposed to not crack, whatever. I don't know who was risky enough to try that, um, but that wasn't me. But I treated it so delicately. I treated it like an infant child, right? Like I didn't, like a carton of eggs. I did not want this thing to get messed up. And I remember one day, I was driving in my truck, and I had my phone in my lap. And I remember as I was driving, I was going around some curvy roads, and my phone slid off my lap, and it went between my seats in my truck. Ever had that problem? And you're trying to stick your, squeeze your hand down between your seats to get it. And you feel something down there. And you're trying to, you know, get it with your fingers. And you're trying to pull it back up. Uh, well, I felt something. So I grabbed it and I pulled it back up. And it was a hard waffle fry. <laughs> that had fallen, you know, between the seats. I, I don't know how many days or years ago. Uh, but it was wedged down in there. And it wasn't my phone. So now I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I can't get my phone. And I'm frustrated because I'm clean and I'm tidy and I don't like waffle fries between my seats, okay? So my, my truck's a mess. So all I can think through is when I get home, I got to clean my truck. How many of you are neat freaks? Some of you are, okay? I'm, I'm a neat freak. I want my truck to be clean. In fact, we, my daughter and I ride, rode together today. I just cleaned it. We rode together today. And I said, listen, if you're going to eat a biscuit in this thing, you're going to get every crumb out of this truck before, before you get out. So anyway, so I, I like it to be clean. But anyway... Here I am thinking this, and I pull into the driveway, 
and I get my iPhone out and I put it in my hand and finally have it and I'm noticing all the trash that's in my back seat and I just start collecting this trash. Now, I'm also the type of person that I'm going to take one trip, not multiple trips, to the trash can. How many of you go buy groceries and you're like, I'm going to get as many bags in my hands as I can to take them inside. I'm not taking two trips. So I'm going to get as much as I can in, in this one thing. So that's what I did. I mean, I literally bought groceries yesterday, and I came home, and I got as many as I could in my hand, and I'm trying to, like, shut the door with my foot, and I'm trying to open it, you know, just trying to get those groceries inside. One trip. I'm a one-trip kind of guy, all right? So here I am. I'm getting all this trash, and I got, like, gummy wrappers in the back, and I have Frito wrappers in the back or chip wrappers in the back. I got water bottles and Capri Sun cases and I even had this thing of yogurt that was in the back of my cup holder that was halfway full. I don't know how long it had been back there. Uh, but then also with that yogurt is a spoon that they use that was under the seat, right? Like, I mean, all this junk is now in my hands. And I'm thinking, I got to get this junk 15 feet to that trash can. Some of you have been there. So I'm holding this stuff. And I shut my truck door. And I'm trying to make it over. And I feel something start to slip. And before I know it, something slips out of my fingers and boom. It's my iPhone. My iPhone had hit its back or hit its front and flipped over on its back and had landed there. And here I am staring at this most valuable and precious and cherished possession as it's on the ground. And I can see my reflection staring back at me through the screen of that phone. But my reflection is in like a thousand pieces because my screen had cracked. Do you think that's funny? I don't think that's funny. <laughs> it has. But listen, church family. Here I was, completely paralyzed, completely stunned, didn't want to take another step. Because while I dropped the right thing, I was holding on to all the wrong things. That'll preach. And this is some of your lives today. In many of your lives today, you are trying to juggle all of the wrong things, and as you're trying to juggle all the wrong things, you're losing control of all the right things. And if we're not careful based on the decisions that we make, our relationship with God and our relationship with His bride, the church, will be on the ground in complete dismay while we hold on to all the things that don't really matter. This is why decisions and choices matter. Because if you're trying to juggle your busy, busy family schedule, and you're trying to juggle your travel ball schedule, and you're trying to juggle all the things that you want to do and places you want to go, at the same time what's going to happen is your relationship with God is going to suffer. And before you know it, it's going to be shattered on the ground. Before you know it, your relationship with your church family is going to be laying right in front of your face and it's going to be in 10,000 pieces. We got, to, we got to quit sacrificing the right things so that we can hold on to the wrong things. And we've got to learn what it takes so that we can hold on to our valuable possessions such as God and his church and the things that go with that rather than the junk and the trash of this world. So with that in mind, we're going to open our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's what I'm going to brush through today in relation to what it looks like for you and I not only to get connected, but for you and I to actually stay connected. 
I have one primary point that I want to push today. Okay, so if you're a note taker, which I hope you are, there's really one primary point that I want to push, and that is this. Choose today and choose every day to stay connected to Jesus. Choose today and choose every day to stay connected to Jesus. This is what it says in John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So right out of the gate here, Jesus is giving us this rather radical claim. He is saying that I am the true vine. When he says, I am the true vine, this is both an exclusive claim and it's an inclusive claim. In its exclusivity, he's saying, I am the true vine. He's the only real vine. Now, you might find 10,000 other vines, but there's only one that has the claim of being the only one real true vine. And Jesus is saying, that's me. In other words, what Christ is saying is, I'm the source of all life. And I'm the only source of all life. If you want life, you must have it in me. Otherwise, if you're not connected to me, you don't have life. Now, this is where it's exclusive, but it's also an inclusive claim. What do you mean? He's saying, yes, I'm the source of all life, but I'm inviting you to be connected to me. And if you're connected to me, who I am and what I have will be directly given to you. And you'll have it because you're connected to me. Because you're the branch, and he's the vine. And the branch, as long as it's connected to the vine, will have what it needs in him. I love the fact of this first verse, by the way. Because when you step away and you think about it, the God of all the universe... I mean, the one who hung the stars and put them in their place. The one who put out the planets and they exist right where they are in relationship to the sun. Like the one who created and sustains everything that you and I see every single day. He wants to be connected, like with me. He wants to be connected with you. That's a mind-blowing reality. So Jesus sets up this analogy where he's the vine. And then he says, the Father, talking about God, is the vine dresser. What does that word vine dresser mean? It just means he's the gardener, okay? He's the vine dresser. But the question that we have to ask is, what does this gardener, what does this vine dresser actually do? Well, look at verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now watch. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, I love what God is doing here. I love what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that God, as the gardener, is involved in the intricate details of pruning and purging the vine. In other words, that God is involved in the detail of the life of the branches. That God is actively involved in my life, in your life, so far as we are connected with him. Now, he's tending this metaphorical garden. This is what Jesus is saying. God is tending this metaphorical garden. And I want you to think about what he's saying. He's saying there are moments in life, and think about it, for you and for me. I've been here. I was here literally since January, I feel like. Um, You ever been in a place where you are praying the same prayer, and you just wonder if God is attentive to your prayer? You ever been there? 
No, I have. Um, maybe you, you just keep going back to God and you're like, Lord, are you even hearing what I'm saying? Like, do you even care? Are you attentive? I don't feel like there's any answers to this. I'm constantly begging. I'm constantly pleading. I constantly am trying to ask you for these things. And I just don't feel like you, you hear me. You're listening. Well, you can find comfort in these verses. You can find comfort because you can know that God does hear you. You can know that God is involved with you, that he's connected to you, and that he does care. In fact, according to these verses, he's actively involved in your life. Yes, he's sovereign, but he's actively involved in your life, and he's working all of the things that are happening in your life together for his good and his glory. So just know this morning that God is indeed involved in your life, but what is the gardener doing? Okay, that's the two questions I want to answer real quick. What is this gardener doing? First, it says this. He's removing branches that aren't fruitful. He's removing branches that aren't fruitful. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now at first glance you're thinking, man, Jesus, that is some hardcore verbiage that you're using there like just because I'm not producing fruit in my life you're just going to nip me in the bud and you're going to throw me in this fire and burn me like that is some hardcore language that you are using but listen church family this is not referring to a Christian who is not bearing fruit that's not the people that Jesus has in mind here the reason I know this is because your salvation from beginning to end has nothing to do with you has everything to do with God. It's dependent on what Christ has done for you. It's never dependent on what you are doing or aren't doing for God. That's why Paul said salvation is a matter of grace and not works. So don't forget that when you take this analogy into consideration. So what is he referring to? This is what he's referring to. It's pretty simple. There are many branches in the garden. And these branches look the part. They look like branches. But in all reality, they're not branches at all. And the analogy is exactly what you think it is. There are some of you who show up every Sunday and you look like a child of God. But in all reality, you're not a child of God at all. Ma'am, sir, you want to know the reason that you don't have any driving appetite for the things of the Lord? It's because you're not connected to the source of life. It's because you don't have proper relationship with Him. It's because you're not connected to him in a meaningful and purposeful way. So that's what this branch is talking about. He's saying, I'm going to remove those branches because they're not part of it at all, and they're not fruitful. And then there's the second thing that he does. Not only is he removing branches that aren't fruitful, but he's pruning branches that are fruitful. He's pruning branches that are fruitful. The question that I have to ask myself when I come to texts like this is, why would God mess with a branch that's producing fruit? And some of you might ask the same thing, like it's doing what it's supposed to do. There's an apple on the tree. Why are you cutting the branch off the tree? Like it's doing its job. Well, he tells us. He prunes it so that it might produce more fruit. I love this about God. God is always in the business of multiplication, not addition. God is always in the business of taking the fruit and multiplying that fruit. This is what a good gardener does, by the way. A good gardener assesses the tree and he cuts even the fruit-bearing branches or prunes the fruit-bearing branches for the purpose of it multiplying fruit and producing even more fruit. Isn't that good? 
Now, let's be honest this morning. Pruning and purging might be good, but it's not fun, is it? Pruning and purging, it might be good, but it certainly is not fun. In fact, pruning and purging is a very painful process. You know, the very definition of the word pruning means to extract. So anytime you extract things, it's going to be painful. I mean, think about plucking a hair slowly off of your face. Like, that hurts. It doesn't feel good. Think about extracting a tooth from your mouth. Like, you want to be numbed when that happens. You don't want to not, you you don't want to feel it as it's happening. Extraction is not a pleasant process. It's a painful process, but he does it. He says, by the way, even the mere definition, according to Webster, is to extract for the purpose of fruitfulness and the purpose of growth. So he extracts so that things might grow. He extracts so that there might be more fruit. So God is pruning the branches that are currently bearing fruit. What does this tell us? What does it tell us that God would take his time to prune a branch that is producing fruit? Listen, it tells us this. God is less concerned about the amount of fruit that one has produced in the past, and he is more concerned with one's ability to continue to produce fruit in the future. That's what it tells us. Listen, some of you, you needed to hear that word this morning. God is less concerned about the fruit that you've produced in the past. He's more concerned about the fruit that you're producing today and in the future. Some of you in this building right now, you are hanging your hat on the fruit you produce in the past. You'll say things like this. I've taught Sunday school for 20 years. This is someone else's turn. Is it? Is it? Like, give me one place in Scripture that it tells you it is okay after you hit a certain stage of life to take a backseat approach to the Christian faith. Some of you, you're hanging your hat on some status that you've gained in the past. I was a deacon at so-and-so church. I was a deacon at this church. I was a leader in this church. But today, I just need to step away and let someone else do that. It's It's time for someone else to step up. And if I don't step away, no, that's not how the Bible works. In fact, the Bible works like this. You multiply disciples. You send those disciples out so that they can continue to multiply. But when they're sent out and multiplying, this it creates a vacuum approach. Now someone has to stand up and continue multiplying what started here. That's how things continue to exponentially multiply. So if you're going to be sent out to go join a church plant, to be on mission uh, with, with a smaller church in another city or whatever the case may be, then I would, I would, I would take that approach to, to what this is saying. However... We are, we are hanging our hat, we're banking on what we've done in the past. I led kids back then. I used to serve in that capacity. I used to serve in students. I used to serve in leadership or whatever the case may be. But here's the word. God is less concerned with what you've done in the past. He's more concerned with what you're doing right now for the sake of the kingdom. You know, pruning, we have to understand, though, it's not punishment, When God prunes you as a branch, he's not punishing you as a branch. It's God lovingly and graciously caring for his people. And it's God lovingly and graciously building his kingdom. And he's doing that through you so that fruit might be produced. When God prunes us, he's ensuring us that we will continue to bear even more fruit once the pruning is done. See, the important church family of staying connected to God is to ensure that you continue to live your life the way that God intended for it to be lived. You are designed by God, 
but you are also designed for him. You're created by God, but you're also created for him. And if you lose your purpose in what you're created for, you will be like a withered branch that really serves no purpose at all. You were designed by God and you were designed for him. Can I encourage you this morning? When you're being pruned, and some of you know how painfully that process can be, and when the Lord is chiseling away areas of your life, I want you to remember that this is God's way of saying to you, hey, I'm not done with you yet. I'm pruning you so that you can even do more for the sake of my kingdom. I'm pruning you so that you can reach even more people who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm pruning you so that you'll know how to minister effectively in all sorts of situations. When the trials of the pruning of your life come, he's doing it so that you might be perfect and complete and lack nothing. So that when you minister to other people, you can say, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've walked through that. And when I did, this is what God allowed me to lean on and cling to through that process. And now you're ministering effectively to other people out of the opportunity that you had when you were once purged. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to work in you so that I can work through you. But listen to this, the vine dresser, God, he prunes the branch close to the vine. Why? You got the vine here, you got a branch that comes out. And what he does is he cuts this branch as close to the vine as possible. Why would this vine dresser do that? So that there will be less of you and more of him. That's what pruning and purging is all about. If you get too big, you can take over the garden. You can think this is about you and not about him. And he's saying, i got to prune you close to the vine so that you can see how absolutely and totally dependent on the vine that you really are. So there'll be more of Christ and less of me. He cuts us back so that he can increase and we can decrease. And then he gets into the heart and the soul of this text in verse 4. It says this, Abide in me. Now that's an active voice. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's what we're expected to do. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now in this short text, by the way, um, the word abide is mentioned over 10 different times. And anytime you see a word overly used, it's used over and over and over again, you have to step away from the scripture and say, why is, what is God trying to say by the use of that word over and over and over again? There's obviously something he wants us to know about abiding. What, what is he trying to teach me? Well, the word abide means to remain. It means to stay connected. That's what it means. More specifically, it means to remain connected specifically to Jesus, who is the source of life, the vine himself. Why? Why would Jesus tell us that? Jesus is saying because this is what authentic disciples do. They connect themselves to Jesus, and they stay connected to Jesus. That's what the life of a true child of God is all about. I remember a mentor of mine. Many of you know I used to work um, at the BCM at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And we would have different speakers come in and talk to our college students. And I remember one specific day, my mentor, one of my mentors, was sitting in a stool much like this one, and he was facing the crowd much like you. And he was given, uh, we were talking specifically about the topic of salvation. And he gave all these different students an opportunity to ask questions as it pertained to salvation. Okay, So they're asking these different questions about salvation, and one student on the right, came up and he said, hey, I got a quick question for you. How do I know that I'm saved? 
You know, there's times I've prayed a prayer and I've walked this walk and all this stuff, but I just don't know. Like, I don't feel it inside. I don't know that I'm saved. And my mentor looked at him and he said, how do you know that you're sitting in that chair? What do you mean, how do I know I'm sitting in the chair? Because I'm sitting in it. <laughs> and he laughs, he chuckles, and he's like, I don't, I don't really know what you're asking. And he says, well, how do you know that you're sitting in that chair? If, if you're sitting in it, then how do you know? And he said, because all my weight is cast on the chair. The chair's holding me up, so I know that I'm sitting in this chair. Like, you can't tell me I'm not sitting in it. He said, but do you really know that? And he says, yeah, I know that. Well, I, I don't think you are. It doesn't matter what you think, because I know I am. That's how you know that you're saved. You see, salvation in Scripture is a process. Process that includes justification, a time of conversion. You're justified through Christ Jesus and what he's done on the cross for you. So when you stand before God, he doesn't see all your sin. He sees what Jesus has already took care of on the cross for your sin. That's justification. That's the beginning of the process. But after justification, you, you step into a process called sanctification. All that is is a fancy word for saying we're growing in the likeness of Christ. We're maturing in the image of God. That's all it means. So for the rest of your life after you're justified, you've declared Christ as your king, you're going to walk and you've surrendered your life to him, now you're in this process of sanctification. So every single day you're in a process of salvation where you're looking more and more like Jesus. Well, how do I know that after I was justified, Two years goes by, and I'm still in this process of salvation because you're sitting in the chair. All of your weight is put on Jesus. You've surrendered. And all of him is carrying all of you because you're surrendered. But, but if you, two years goes by and you're not, you're, the weight of your life is not in Jesus, then you have, really good, you have really good reason to ask, do I even know if I'm saved? Maybe I am playing the part, but I'm not really connected to the vine. And that's what some of us need to hear today, authentic discipleship. You know that you're saved just like you're sitting in that chair. Every single day of your life, you wake up and you die to yourself daily and you choose, I'm going to follow you today. This is the life that I'm going to live. And there's certain things in your heart and your life that begin to change and transform because you have the spirit of God that's now replacing the spirit of flesh that lives within you. And as that spirit of God works, he gives you you know, an, an appetite and a desire for, the, for heavenly and kingdom-oriented things. If those things don't exist every day, then you have reason to question. You know, this is why he said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us. Well, why'd they go out from us? He says, because they were not of us. They left because they were never a part to begin with. So Jesus is calling us as believers to remain connected to him. And then he adds this in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, does that word nothing literally mean nothing? No. It doesn't literally mean nothing. Why do we know that? Because there's a lot of religious people who do a lot of religious things. And they look the part, but they're not. They go to church, they teach life group, they listen to Christian music, they read their Bibles, they participate in church events. So nothing here does not necessarily mean nothing. So what does it mean? It means you can do nothing, nothing of eternal value, nothing of eternal significance. What I want to do for the remainder of our time, just really quick this morning, is I want to give you four very specific ways that you need to abide in order to see your life transform. Okay, so we know that based on this text, Jesus is calling all of us to be connected to him and to stay connected to him. 
But there's four really practical ways that we can do this that we might think are not that, that important. But in all reality, they're very important and very critical for our own spiritual vitality. Okay, So I'm going to walk you through those four things as we conclude our time together. First, in order to abide, we must abide in his word. We must abide in his word. It says this in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So it's not really about you getting the word as much as it is the word getting into you. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, I don't want you just to read it. I need you to internalize it and to memorize it and for it to take root in your life and to begin working itself out of you. That's what he's saying. So the word of God begins to empower us as believers to bear fruit. That's what it's there to do. In fact, the opposite is true too. If we lack being, or lack being in the word and the word lacks being in us, then we'll also lack the ability to produce and bear fruit from our lives. So what's your point, Trey? It's really easy. Our ability to produce fruit is directly connected to our willingness to abide in his word. If you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't really produce any fruit from my life. The first thing I would ask you is, are you abiding in the word of God? Are you living in it? And is it living in you? Are you giving it permission to transform your life? And you're following it faithfully each and every day. See, we take the word in. Why? So that we can live the word out. That's the purpose of abiding in his word. There's a second thing. Not only do we abide in the word, but we have to abide in prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, watch, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, I have to leave that back part in proper context. Abiding in him allows us to pray with great boldness, but it also allows us to experience answered prayers more frequently. When we abide, we get to experience more prayers or answers to prayer more frequently. There's really two things that are happening here in verse 7. There's a condition and there's a result, okay? The condition is this. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you. So you're in the word, the word's in you, okay? Like, that's what you're doing. Then there's a result. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Again, remember what we said about Proverbs chapter 2? Same thing Jesus is saying here. The whole point is to align your your life with his will. Some of you want to ask that question too. Well, what is the will of God for me? I don't really know what God's, I feel like I wake up, I go to sleep, and I'm not real sure what the will of God is for me. Can I answer that? Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, he says it this way, this is God's will for you, your own sanctification. God says the whole purpose of your life, the, the will of God for you is that you would look more like him tomorrow than you do today. And sometimes that process, as we've learned, is a painful reality. So the purpose of prayer is for fruit-bearing, not for gratifying the flesh. It's to align your will with his will. And then whenever you ask, he says it will be done for you. So we abide in the word. We abide in prayer. And thirdly, this morning, we abide in his love. It says this in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now watch. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Listen to this. Don't miss it. As the Father has loved me, so Jesus is talking. As the Father has loved me, the Son of God, so has the Father loved you. Do you know what kind of love the Father had for his one and only Son? 
The love that he had is a deep, deep, or has is a deep, deep love. It's a love beyond words. The love that the Father God has for his only son is a word that is a love that would that would be way too far for us to comprehend in our time together this morning. And yet here's what Christ is saying. Christ says that the love the Father has for me, his one and only son, is identical to the love that he has for you. That should encourage you. It should encourage you to know that God loves you just as much as he did his own personhood. Jesus, his one and only son. God has a perfect, everlasting love for his son and he tells us, stay connected to that love. Don't get disconnected from that love. Walk in that reality. Cling to that tightly. Never forget how much I love you. Abide in that reality. See, abiding in his love is not about what you do for him. Abiding in his love is about what he has already done in Christ Jesus for you. And when you recognize the extent by which Christ went to demonstrate his love for you, even while we were yet sinners, he went and died. That's when you'll start to live out that love before other people. So how do, I, how do we know how to do this? When we take his love in, the Bible is teaching us that only then will we be able to live his love out. Church family, if you don't look at yourself in the mirror and you don't feel like you love other people the same way that God loves you, maybe you haven't rested and sat in the love of God for you that day. I'm, I'm reminded of this every time someone offends me. And some of you are too. There's a great offense that happens against me. I have to sit there and get myself together and think, man, what offense have I done against God that equals or compares in comparison to this offense that someone has done against me? And then how did God react Oh man, he forgave, he loved. And Trey, you've got to decide today that you're going to do that. So stay connected to Jesus. It's necessary, church family, for your spiritual vitality. And then there's one that I want to end with today. We also need to abide with others. We need to abide with others. If you look at verse 12, it's not gonna be on your screen, but verse 12, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So he includes that in this text. You are my friends. Is that singular or plural? It's plural. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, plural, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, for I've called you friends, plural. Again, Jesus is showing us the, 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 the need for you and I to not only belong to him, but to also belong to each other. Church, if you want to take your next step spiritually, you must abide in Christ. Abide in his word. Abide in prayer. Abide with other believers. Love on other believers and abide in love. That's the key to the next step of your spiritual journey. You know, one of the things that I love about our church and really one of the afterthoughts of COVID. When COVID hit, every church had to present a strategy for how we were going to take church into people's homes because that's where they were. So every church, much like ours, thought through, what are we doing to get this into people's homes? Now, we were already kind of ahead of that. We were doing some of that here. Other churches had to start doing that for the very first time. But I want to say this very candidly and clearly, especially to those of you who are watching online. Our online production here was never intended to take away from the body, the physical body, physical gathering of God's people in one place at one time to declare his worth and his value back to him. 
It was never intended to replace that. It is merely supplemental to your faith. If there's something happening in your life, like you're sick, you fell out of a tree, broke your arm, whatever the case may be, and you have to stay home, then you know what? You have a supplemental thing that we've done for you that you get to watch so that you can participate with us from afar. But other than that, there's really no excuse. Hebrews 10.25 talks about this. Don't make it a pattern of your life to not gather with the body together. And I want to encourage you today to remove any excuse from your life if, you, if you're one of those, because I know how easy it is. I've been there. It was so easy to wake up in the morning, kind of at my own pace and convenience, to make a cup of coffee, to sip on it, and to kind of read the paper, whatever you do, and then just to turn on your TV, whatever you wanted to, and to watch something online. But I want to encourage you today, don't get stuck in that. It's not good for your spiritual vitality. You need to be with the body of Christ. You're commanded to be with the body of Christ so that you can exalt him and lift him up. But there's a second thing that goes with it. Also, so that you can encourage the other brothers and sisters in the faith. So that you can encourage. You know one of the greatest encouragement to my soul is when I look around the room and I see people from different generations and different ethnicities and different cultures worshiping God in what's seemingly like a different way. And I start to get this picture of heaven. Like, this is what it's going to look like. There's going to be different people in their glorified bodies worshiping God in different ways. And it's going to be where every nation and every tribe and every tongue declares with great confidence that he alone is worthy. That he alone is God. So church family, I want to encourage you to take your next step. Abide in Christ. Let him abide in you. And let's see what God does, not only in you, but also through you for his great glory and purposes. Father, we come to you and we thank you for how great you are. And we pray that we put our yes on the table today and we begin abiding in you the way that you desire. God, you created us and you crafted us. Help us, Lord, live the way that we were designed to live. Help us abide in your word. Help us abide in prayer. Help us abide in your love. And help us abide with other people for the sake of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.